All right. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all here, and it's good to see um, some of our uh, younger, more younger people sitting out the front here as well. It's great to have you guys um, join us in our service today. Uh, before we go any further, why don't you join me uh, as we give this time to the Lord? Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the opportunity to be able to open up your Bible and to be able to read it. We thank you for all of these words that have been written down for us to be able to learn from, for us to be able to be encouraged and challenged and to understand how you want us to live our life. And so, Lord, we pray that as we look through um, the life of David, your servant, that we would learn many things from him, learn from him in how to live our lives so that it is one that is pleasing to you. So we pray these things in your name. Amen. I'm going to list out a few movies for you guys. Maybe some of them you've seen, maybe some of them you haven't. But I want you to tell me if you can find out anything that's common to all of these movies. How many of you have seen Hustle? That's a new movie that's come out on Netflix recently. Yeah, a few people. How about Million Dollar Baby? That's, no. No one's seen that one before. How about Kung Fu Panda? Many people have seen that movie, yeah. Got some more hands, yeah. Um, the Pursuit of Happiness, Will Smith, yeah. Good movie, yeah. What about Legally Blonde? Now we're getting a little bit older now. Yeah, we're starting to see people's age, perhaps, in the room. Um, what about Shawshank Redemption? Great classic, yeah, we've got a few hands there. Um, Rocky? Yep, yep, more hands, yep. The Karate Kid, the new one or the old one. Yep, oh yeah, many more hands now. So what do all of these movies have in common? Well, they all actually have some sort of an underdog in them. They're also great movies as well, at least that's what all the recommendations on the internet say. But these movies, they all have an underdog, someone who perhaps is not the strongest person ever, but it's someone who is going to go to a fight, someone who's going to go into a battle against someone who's stronger, and you kind of really are hoping that this underdog will win. You know, everyone loves a great underdog story. The movie industry absolutely loves them. There's no shortage of them. Slumdog Millionaire, Remember the Titans, Eddie the Eagle, The Longest Yard, Cool Runnings, The Castle, pretty much every superhero movie that's ever existed. We all love a good underdog story because we love to root for the underdog. We love it when there's a villain who thinks that they're really strong, but then the good guy, the one who's not always the most flashy, the one who's not always the best and the strongest, they come out on top. We love it when the good guy wins. Well, today we're looking at one of the most famous underdog stories in the Bible, and it's David versus Goliath. But as we follow David's story in this underdog battle, we're actually going to learn quite a few very important things. But the one thing that I want you guys to take home today is that we should trust God in the face of our battles. I'm going to say that one more time. That we should trust God in the face of our battles. So for those of you who have followed with us or were here with us last week, we're now into our second week looking into the life of David. 
We saw last week that he's a man who's characterized with a heart after God's own heart. And over these next few weeks, we're exploring how David lived his life and how it can be a pattern for our lives and also for our church. Our church's vision statement this year is living a transformed life with a genuine love for Jesus Christ and his people. And so we're going to see how David did that and how we can do that today. Last week, we met David as just a young boy. We met him as a shepherd, the youngest of a family of eight boys. We saw that he was a boy glowing with health, with a fine appearance, with handsome features. He's a brave man, and he's a warrior. He's fine-looking, and he's also a musician. But was that what set him apart? Well, no, not really. We learned last week that it wasn't his physical attributes that set him apart, but it was actually his heart. In the chapter before what we read today, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, we learned that when God looks at people, he looks at the heart. That the Lord does not look at the people things look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so last week, as Pastor Kent shared with us, we met David at this ceremony. And during this time, the nation of Israel had or was a kingdom. The people had elected this guy called Saul as their king, but it was kind of against what God had said, because God had said, you don't need a king, I will be your king. But the people said, no, we do want a king, like every other country. And so God gave them Saul, but Saul was not a great leader. Saul really just kind of sucked. He didn't really follow God's commands, And in particular, there were two things that he did that really set the scene for the nation of Israel. He blamed others for his mistakes, and he was always hungry for a win at all costs. He would always be going to war, and this wasn't what God wanted. And so last week we saw Samuel, who is God's representative, he went on a journey to find the next king of Israel. God led him to meet a man called Jesse, who lived out in a little town called Bethlehem. And God said that this next leader would come from this family. So Samuel gets there and he sees all these sons, but none of them are the one that God says will be the next king. He, he had to ask, is this a mistake? Is this all the boys that you have? And that's when Jesse said, well, actually, I've got one more. He's a shepherd, the youngest one. He's out in the fields working hard. And when David came in, that's when God said, this is the guy. This is my guy. And so the most important thing that we learned last week about David is that when we look at David and we compare it with King Saul, that it wasn't their physical ability, but it was their heart that set them apart. So we pick up our story this week at the start of chapter 17, and we learn that war has come again. Let me read to you verses 1 to 3. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damim between Soko and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. Now, those of you who have been with us over the last few months, you might remember that we've heard of this place called Judah. Judah. 
When we were going through the book of Isaiah, this was actually 250 years down the track. And so right now, we have to rewind 250 years because we were thinking in a few months ago that Judah was the southern kingdom of Israel, that the kingdom had split, but we're now 250 years earlier than that. And so right now, the nation of Israel is still all in one. We're around 1000 BC, and the whole nation of Israel is still together, and Judah is just simply one province. And this province of Judah, they share their western border with a place called Philistia. It's where the Philistines come from. And it's at this spot that we have this ultimate face-off. And this is where our villain enters. In verse 4, it says, A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Now let me just translate some of those verses into the metric system. Six cubits and a span, what is that? Well, if those who like imperial, that's nine feet and nine inches. For those who are in the metric, it's about three meters. For those who like real world comparisons, that's about the same as a basketball ring. And to think about someone that tall, well, those who do follow the NBA know that Victor Wembanyama, the newest NBA recruit, the next NBA phenom, he's listed at seven foot five with shoes on. And so this guy's another two feet above. He's literally the size of a basketball ring. His scale armor of bronze is 5,000 shekels, and that brings out to about 58 kilos. I'm not going to tell you how much I weigh, but it's around that ballpark. Maybe I do weigh a little bit more than 58. But you know, that's a lot of armor. These days, when you have people who um, serve in the Australian army or in the, uh, in the US army, their armor might weigh maybe 10, 15 kilos. So this is about four or five times the amount of armor that a normal person would wear. He had a great big mighty spear with the point, just the tip of his spear weighing seven kilos. That's on par with a sledgehammer. Those who love your physics will know that if you have something heavy on one end, you need something heavy on the other end as well. And so by the time you add all of that up, his spear probably feels like an empty barbell. For those who go to the gym and lift weights, you'll know that even an empty barbell, one without any weights on it, it's not light. But instead of doing deadlifts, this guy holds it with one hand and throws it. All in all, this guy is a big dude. And so he rolls up and with a big booming voice, he yells across this valley. In verse 8, he says, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Now this challenge is a bit different because back then they didn't do war like that. It kind of used to be everyone would come together and maybe like the war movies, everyone would fight and you kind of hope that if you can kill everyone else, then you win. They didn't do one-on-one -on -one battles. It wasn't common to send out a representative and have them fight to the death. 
But Goliath comes and lays down the challenge. And then he finishes off in verse 10. He says, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. One-on-one, winner takes all. What will Israel do? Who will they send? Well, on hearing the Philistines' words in verse 11, it says, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. It's not looking good, and you kind of imagine that if you are watching this as a movie, the challenge is out, and you don't know what's going to happen. And so like every good movie, you have to change the scene. It switches. And suddenly, we are now back at Bethlehem in David's hometown. In verses 12, as we continue on, it's kind of like the meanwhile scene. We've got the war going on, but meanwhile, over in Bethlehem, we see that Jesse's three eldest sons, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shammah, have gone off to war. They are at the front lines at the moment, whereas David, he's been working two jobs. He's been doing his shepherd job as his family business, but he's also been going back and forth being King Saul's personal musician. And so for 40 days, Goliath came every morning and evening. They would line up, Goliath would send out this challenge, and Saul and the Israelites would be dismayed and terrified. Now back in Bethlehem, Jesse... He's very worried for his sons. Who knows what's happening as his sons are at war? And so he asks David to go and find out what's going on. Let me read to you verses 17 to 19. Now Jesse said to his son David, take this ephah of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. This is a pretty big care package, 17 kilos of grain, 10 loaves of bread and cheese as well. It's actually a pretty good care package. I wouldn't mind that. But David listens and he says, all right, let's go. He takes all this stuff. He gets to the battlefield like a responsible person. He makes sure that someone is filling in for him at his job at home. He arrives, and things are just heating up for the day. People are lining up. The battle cries are being being thrown out. The armies are drawing up their lines in this valley. David drops off his care package, and he runs to find his brothers. He gets there. He's chatting with them, and then suddenly, our villain makes his entrance. Goliath stands up, and he makes his challenge again. Silence falls as he yells. As he yells, choose a man to fight. If he kills me, we'll be your subjects. But if I kill him, you'll serve us. I defy the army of Israel today. Send someone so we can fight. It's been 40 days and no one has stepped up. The situation is getting pretty bad. And in fact, it's so bad that King Saul has now started offering rewards Let me read to you verse 25. The Israelites have been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He keeps coming out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. You just need to win against one guy. You'll never have to pay a bill again. 
You'll essentially be married into the royal family, no taxes, and yet still no one, and today is the same. King Saul and the whole Israelite army have been living out this, army, uh, this nightmare for 40 days in a row now, faced with this villain that cannot be defeated, and they are losing hope. You know, when I think of this Israelite army and what they faced, it makes me think of our situations in our lives too. Because I think that there are many times in our lives where we will feel like there is a Goliath. There is some sort of villain in our lives. And this villain just throws down that challenge every single day. It could be as simple as how hard is it to get out of bed in the morning? Every time you sit down to do your homework, and it's the biggest battle to concentrate and not to pull out your phone. Every time you think about the fact that today's Sunday and tomorrow is Monday, you have to go to work. Every time you think about how you should read your Bible, but Netflix is just one press away. Every time you get told off by your parents, and the biggest battle is not to talk back or to yell back at them. There might be bigger battles as well. The battle of knowing that you have close friends and family members who don't know God, and day by day it feels like it's harder and harder and you lose hope. Maybe it's waking up every day and checking your bank balance and seeing that one decrease as interest rates keep going up. You know, even as a church, we may feel like there are Goliaths here as well. As days turns to weeks, turns to months, our pastor search seems to get harder and harder. As we look ahead to our AGM, what's our leadership going to be like? Some of us might even have those fears. What's going to happen to CCMA? And these daily battles, they wear us down. It's so hard to find someone who loves God. Will I ever find someone to marry? It's so hard to get shifts and the cost of living is increasing. Will I ever be able to afford a house? It's so hard to study. It's so hard. Will I ever get a degree? Will I ever get a job? We all have battles that feel like Goliath bearing down on us. And quite often we feel like day by day we feel helpless. We feel terrified. We feel filled with fear. We feel like there is no hope. It doesn't matter what rewards might be there, but you just don't want to get up and face them. Well, the situation is dire, morale is down, and suddenly, enter in a fresh-faced, young, sprightly David. He's looking around at all these terrified people, and listen to what he asked the guys next to him. Have a look in verse 26. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? I want you to listen and pay attention very carefully to David's words because David's words here are so important. When we look at David's words in the face of an impossible battle, David's words cut through the clouds of doubt and fear. Notice how he says, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine? Hear the certainty in David's voice. What will be done when the man kills this Philistine? 
Notice how David addresses this guy, removes this disgrace from Israel. David not only sees Goliath there, but he sees this guy as a personal attack against him and his God. He calls this guy, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? And suddenly, as David speaks of Goliath in this way, he doesn't say, who is this gigantic warrior who we can't defeat? He just says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? And how dare he defy the armies of the living God? Not defy the armies of Israel, but defy the armies of the living God. David's words breathe fresh wind into an impossible situation. You know, quite often God places people in our lives to speak into our situations, to help us to see things from a different perspective. And we see here David in particular, with a heart after God's own heart, his perspective is special and unique. He sees it in God's perspective because as he speaks, he speaks of certain victory. He speaks of what's going on as a personal attack. He speaks of the threat as if it's not something as big as it seems to be. And he speaks knowing that he has God behind him. This is what a godly perspective of our battles will do. When we have a godly perspective of our battles, it helps us to break out of our cycle. It helps us just to see what our Goliaths actually are. It helps us to show the certainty of God's victory. It reminds us of who and what God treasures. It helps us to see the insufficiency of our enemies, and it reveals God's overwhelming power. A godly perspective allows us to trust God in the face of our battles. Now, as David provides this fresh perspective to the men around him, David's oldest brother, he hears. And so he comes over, and he goes up to David, and in verse 28, it says that he burned with anger against him. And he asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are, and I know how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. And as an older brother, I read that and go, yeah, I definitely do that to my brother sometimes. And I thought, why? Why would his brother speak like that? And I think in the midst of the anxiety, in the midst of the fear, the stress of the situation, David's oldest brother lashes out. And it is so common for us as well. You know, when someone comes along and speaks a new perspective into our battle, we respond, well, what would you know? You don't understand. You don't know how it feels. It's not as simple as that. And it's ironic because Eliab accuses David's heart of being conceited, and yet we know of all the people's hearts, David's heart is the closest to God's. When we are in the face of our battles and people come to speak into our situations, we often push people away. We discount their words. But why? I think often it's because we are so deep in our sorrow, our Goliath has taken up 
our whole vision. We're too busy focusing on where Goliath is and we're unable to turn away. Our hearts are self-absorbed. We're fixated on this feeling that we're the center of the universe, that we are the ones being attacked. But I want you to listen to David's words again. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Not the armies of Israel, but the armies of the living God. David is attempting to lift everyone's eyes up to zoom out and to see the bigger picture, that the battles that we face is not actually centered around us, that there is something bigger. We're called to trust God in the face of our battles. And how we do that, it is to zoom out to see where God is in this picture. And so it turns out that King Saul, for some reason, has ears all over the battlefield because somehow David's conversation funnels through and suddenly King Saul hears about it. He summons David to him. And when David comes to Saul, he says in verse 32, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replies, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. And he has been a warrior since his youth. Saul's probably right. Goliath is probably a lot older. He's definitely a lot bigger. He's definitely a lot more battle-worn. How is David ever going to defeat him? But David replies in verse 34, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. You know, Saul was driven by fear as he looked at David and Goliath. But David, he had confidence. Yes, Goliath had had lots of training in battles. Yes, David had fought lions and bears. But David sees more than this. Again, David zooms out, and he doesn't just see his battle experience, but he sees God there. He knows that it's not his past skill and his past battles with lions and bears that will defeat Goliath, but it's God. It's God who had brought him through his previous battles, and it will be God who brings him through his coming battles. You know, I was thinking about this, and I feel like the battle for me is every time I sit down and prepare a sermon. I sit down and I flip back and forth because there's moments where I sit there going, man, I don't know what it takes. When I have my empty page in front of me, how on earth am I going to write half an hour sermon? But then It's the Holy Spirit that comes, that reminds me that actually I have delivered sermons before, but it's not because I'm smart. It's not because I've got all these skills, and it's not this week's sermon is not going to work just because I've done the other ones, but it's because every other sermon has been delivered by God through me. He reminds me that it is him that does it, and that is why when I step up here every week, God will deliver through me. 
When you face your Goliath, do you look back and you go, man, well, I guess I did earn a paycheck last week, so I probably can earn a paycheck this week and pay the bills as well. Do you recognize that your past victories are actually victories by God? That it is God that brought you through? We're called to trust God in the face of our battles. Not our own strength in past victories, but God. So Saul, who is now slightly a little bit more convinced, he decides, all right, well, if that's the case, then go on. But wait, let me put on all of the armor for you. In verses 38 to 39, Saul dresses David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he wasn't used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them all off. And still Saul doesn't get it. Saul is still trusting in the wrong thing. You look at Saul and his faith was only in the earthly things, in the material things in front of them. He trusted only what he could see. He trusted only training. He trusted only in physical armor. But David trusted what he couldn't see. He trusted in God's protection and in God's armor. And so in taking off all the armor, David finally heads out and meets Goliath. In verse 40, David took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in his pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with a sling in hand approached the Philistine. The scene is set. The battle is ready. Both sides are there. Goliath the giant versus David the underdog. Who will win? Well, again, just like every good movie that's building up to the final battle, everyone's on the edge of the seat ready for this action scene. But no, before they start, they have to have one last conversation. And so Goliath, as he sees David coming, he mocks him. He says to David in verse 43, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And then he curses David by, God, by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and to the wild animals. And so then David rebuts. He has his final response, and that is the pinnacle of our story today. It's what Shukip read out for us. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and to the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel." And this next verse is what sets this whole story apart. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. The battle is the Lord's, not David's, the Lord's. And with everything, and with this, everything changes. Because now it's not David the underdog versus Goliath. In fact, the reality is that it's not even David versus Goliath anymore. It's God versus Goliath. 
God, the, un- the creator of this universe, the one who stands alone, unmatched in power. God, the one who raises up and brings down nations, the one who controls the weather, controls life and death. It's God versus Goliath. And when we look at the battle this way, well, David is no underdog no more. Backed by our great God, David is the most overpowered underdog ever to exist. And so as the Philistine moved closer to attack him in verse 48, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. And so David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David's victory over Goliath is assured, and for good measure, he goes and lops his head off as well. What a battle, and what an ending. But as we reflect on this famous battle and on David's words, there is a lot to learn about how we should face our battles too. David stood up strong compared to Saul and the Israelites, and he did it in front of Goliath because of three different things. The first one is that he kept his eyes on God, not on Goliath. He kept his eyes focused on God rather than focusing on the battle that's in front of him. Second, he trusted in God's work, not in his own skill. He didn't rely on just his previous battles. He didn't rely on armor. Instead, he relied on what God had done for him in the past. And finally, David recognized that the battle before him wasn't about him at all. It wasn't him versus Goliath. It was God versus Goliath. Who or what is your Goliath today? As we look at David's example, how will we act towards our Goliath, as David did? When we think about turning our eyes upon God, will we allow the Holy Spirit and those around us to point us towards God, to lift our eyes away from our battle and instead to look towards God? Will we recognize the opportunity to look back on what God has done recognizing that God had delivered us in the past, not just what we had done in the past? And will we accept that what we're facing today is not actually about us, that it's not our battle, but that it's God's battle? Our God is a wonderful, loving, and powerful God. As we move forward in the battles that we face, May we ask God to transform our hearts so that we fix ourselves on him, trusting that it is his battle and that he will have the victory. Why don't you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this story that we have read. We thank you that as we read and see this battle of David and Goliath, that it's not really just David and Goliath, but it's a battle between you and Goliath. And as we have worshipped you today and as we have seen who you are, we know that you are the one who is all-powerful, 
Almighty. And we know that no matter what life comes at us, no matter what battle comes our way, that you are greater and that you will have the victory. And so, Lord, in each one of our lives right now, as we think and as we ponder the battles that we face, help us to trust you, to look towards you, to be reminded of the things that you have done in the past, to be reminded that because of that, you also will bring us through, that no battle is too great when it is you, First Goliath. So, Father, we thank you so much. We lift up these things to you and we pray these things in your son's holy name. Amen. Thank you, Clifford. If you would all stand and join.